Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, May 31st, 2020. The share ID numbers for Friday, May 29th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 14,712. That's 14712. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 14,714. That's 14714. This morning, A Vision for You presents Trudging the Road to the Next Frontier. Overeaters Anonymous stands for the proposition that the 12 steps give us freedom from the bondage of our disease. OA's 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to compulsively overeat and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. The purpose of steps one through nine is a personal transformation leading to a spiritual awakening. The big book provides clear directions as to how you can experience a personality change and a relationship with power to overcome compulsive overeating. The big book also gives us a very clear warning. If we do not continue to trudge and do not keep in fit spiritual condition, we will relapse. Our mental obsession will return. The steps must continue to catalyze our inner growth and our new attitudes and new spirit. Hence, the big book states that we trudge the road of happy destiny. Trudge to walk slowly and deliberately with a lot of effort. The 12-step path is a design for living. By continuing to trudge the road to the next frontier, we will be free from the things that used to enslave us. Joining us today to share her story and experience strength and hope of trudging and transformation is Lisa J.R., a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Lisa is committed to trudging this 12-step way of life, and we're grateful to have her on the line this morning. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank you for that um, humbling introduction. Good morning, everyone. I'm Lisa J.R. from Baltimore, Maryland, gratefully recovered one day at a time by God's grace and mercy. I'm deeply humbled to be sharing my experience, strength, and hope with you, my fellow travelers, this morning. Part of me has identified with all your shares and stories, old-timer or newcomer. You've brought luster to my tired eyes and courage to my flagging spirit when I've needed it most. So from the depth of my heart, thank you all. Please forgive the hoarse sound in my voice. Uh, my allergies are doing a real number on me today. When I found this meeting and began to do the work as prescribed in the big book, I imagined what the road of happy destiny would look like. I had a picture in my mind's eye of a smooth, straight line that went on forever into a beautiful sunrise. 
reminiscent of some breathtaking vision out west. That was my Norman Rockwell or Thomas Kincaid version of reality. It was my dream recovery. Since projecting's a big part of my shtick, I can look back and laugh at that fantasy. It was ridiculous. In truth, it's not always like that. The pavement is rarely smooth and there are potholes and debris on it. Sometimes it's barely visible when it's storming out. There are roundabouts and detours, bottlenecks and reroutes. Often it's more like a trail than a road, but I know it's the only place that will take me where I wanna go. Like a lot of you here, I believe I was born a compulsive overeater, but you can't see the picture when you're in the frame. It took 48 years of denial and an immense amount of pain and suffering to admit that. Years of binge eating and exercise bulimia brutalized my body. Every morning when I get out of bed, it's a rusty venture, I'll tell you. Back in those days, I would refer to myself as a junkyard dog. God has a huge sense of humor. We adopted a sweet little pit bull around the time I came to OA. She was a rescue and had been on the mean streets for a while, so she had a voracious appetite. <clears throat> no matter what we did, we couldn't stop her from inhaling her food. We bought slow feeder bowls, time feeders, puzzle feeders. We even fed her from muffin tins and every other thing we could discover on Google. She still inhaled her food like it was her last meal, just like me. I tried everything to slow my binging down too. I spent thousands of dollars on prepackaged meals that were really many binge foods celebrity shysters sold on infomercials. Doctors put me on diets. I tried a plethora of crazy gimmicks I found on the internet and in books. I was even part of a study group at Johns Hopkins for weight gain during breast cancer treatment. My mind was so depraved when I got over the initial shock of the news that I had cancer. All I could think of was, well, at least I'll lose weight. Everyone who has cancer loses weight. I mean no disrespect by that. It's a true sketch of how low this thing took me. At the end, I prayed every day to God to take me home. There's a saying in AA, you either get locked up, sobered up, or covered up. As Bill wrote, they did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. It is a devastating blow to my pride. I, who had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. Now I was to plunge into the dark, joining the endless procession of thoughts that had gone on before. Like Bill, I lost all hope. Ten years later, my little Micah still eats like a junkyard dog, but thank you, God. Thank you, God. I don't have to anymore. She's a daily reminder of how dark those days in the food were. I binged on anything and everything, even Brussels sprouts. I had a terrifying close call in the parking lot of a Chick-fil-A while I was scarfing down a salad. A cherry tomato got stuck in my throat 
and I choked for what seemed like an eternity. Just before I blacked out, I threw myself out of the car, hoping a passerby would help me. Thankfully, the blow dislodged the tomato, and I'm here today. I broke the blood vessels all across my forehead and was foaming at the mouth. But what did I do? You guessed it. I wiped my face off, took a drink, and went right back to the trough. When I ate in public, I could manage to white-knuckle it until I could be alone with my food. In the end, I hated dining with people because I had to behave. I was like a porno addict with my food. My binging was secretive. My life had become small and dark. The progression of my disease was unnoticed because I looked normal on the outside until the day my solution failed. I broke both of my feet while trying to break in some new running shoes. Now that was ironic, since the shoes broke me. After surgery, I came home and went on the mother of all binges. In one week, I outgrew my fat pants. For you gentlemen on the line who don't know, fat pants are an extra large pair of pants some of us gals have around for those days when we get bloated. I ate my way out of a out of a career and found myself in financial ruin. I was raised by an Epicurean of sorts. My mom was what you'd call a home chef. I went from years of fine dining to slumming at the lowest of low drive-throughs and convenience stores, something I swore I'd never do. I woke up daily to the four horsemen on page 151, terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. I was the hopeless subject of King Cupcake, a shivering denizen of his mad realm. I was terrified and desperate, but I kept going. I propped myself up in an upright position when I went to bed. I was afraid I would aspirate on the huge volume of food I ate every night. I could barely breathe. My fear of being discovered was so intense that I would order giant family dinners for five and an assortment of drinks so the people at the window wouldn't see through me. I would throw the drinks out. Who wants to fill up on liquid when there's food? I'd have the girls at the bakery put phony names and well wishes on the several birthday cakes I would eat each week so nobody would be suspicious. One girl had the audacity to ask me how it was I had so many friends. Just like that, I told her I worked for the Human Resources Department at my job and was in charge of buying the cakes. My dishonesty and a multitude of other character defects progressed with my disease. It was getting harder and harder to conceal. The car became the scene of the crime. Plates and other utensils were unnecessary. I was finally outed one day at a stop site, stoplight. I had scooped a large piece of cake out of a bakery box and was eating it with my hand. There was frosting all over the steering wheel. I came out of the food fog to the sound of horns blasting. I looked over my right shoulder, and there in the car next to me was a contractor from work staring at me in horror, too paralyzed to move. 
page eight in the big book sums it up. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Quicksand is a miserable thing to step into, and I was up to my waist in it. The funny thing about quicksand is the more you try to fight your way out, the deeper you sink. I had to accept that I was stuck in a hopeless situation and that fighting it was only making matters worse. If you're alone and stuck in quicksand, the only alternative you have is to lay on your back and swim out. It goes against every instinct. I had to do the unthinkable. I had to surrender. I was a member of another 12-step fellowship for years, so I was aware of Overeaters Anonymous. Every once in a while, I'd peek into one of their meetings, and I saw all their, all of their flyers on the cork board. I decided one day to check it out. If I was going to make this journey, I needed a solid vehicle. So I went to a lot of meetings. I kicked the tires and checked under <clears throat> a lot of hoods, but nothing jived. Nothing worked for me. I even tried getting a sponsor and wrote a fourth step that looked like a copy of War and Peace. Then one night, something amazing happened when I was trolling the main phone bridge line of OA. I heard a woman on Open Big Book Study, and something was different about her. She spoke with a confident authority about the text. Curious, I listened to her for weeks. She had a real command of her emotions when she shared also. What she had really was a program of attraction. I called her several times. Although she was carrying the message in the open meeting, she suggested I tune into her regular meeting in the morning. Thank you, Chelsea H., wherever you are. You changed my life. May you rest in peace. When I tuned into Vision for You, I was amazed that you all had the same quality in your shares. You had the solution to my problem. Of course, being the hard head that I am, it took me some time to embrace the rigorous action part. But once I did, I was on my way. I was on my journey down the road of happy destiny. I began to embrace the truth in, the, <clears throat> in a paragraph, in a story. He lived only to drink on page 450 and 451. But I was unable to realize that this bonfire of resentment and rage was beckoning me to pick up a drink and plunge into my death. Then I realized I had to separate my sobriety from everything else that was going on in my life. No matter what happened or didn't happen, I couldn't drink. In fact, None of these things that I was going through had anything to do with my sobriety. The tides of life flow endlessly for better or worse, both good and bad. I cannot allow my sobriety to become dependent on these ups and downs of living. Sobriety must have a life of its own. I won't go into much detail about the house cleaning work 
because there are many on the line who have shared eloquently on all of those subjects. Today, I'll stick with the bookends and beyond. Recovered, we live in the solution steps, 10, 11, and 12. Nowhere does the text tell us to start from scratch every day. (laughs) Excuse me. For me personally, it is necessary to live in the bookends. One of our beloved speakers says something very simple and to the point about the necessity of doing the work every day. It hits me with pinpoint precision every time she says it. Simply put, she says, I do it because I know who I am. Authentic sobriety can't exist without living in the steps. This work has helped me cut through the bull crap and come to know who I am too. I'm Lisa, a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm also Lisa, terminally selfish and self-centered. Upon awakening, if I don't surrender to the God of my understanding and admit in my spirit that I'm helpless, my disease thinking will mop the floor with me. So every day before my feet hit the floor, I surrender all. Only then am I prepared to be of maximum service to God and the people about me. Prayer throughout the day is necessary if I'm going to do that. The doctor's opinion ends with somewhat of a plea on page XXII. Dr. Silkworth says, I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through and through, and though perhaps he came to scoff, he may remain to pray. Over the years, I've been asked by many of my sponsees how to do that. In the simple way that I see it, it's like a muscle. If you don't use it, it atrophies. One could start by talking to an empty chair, walking in the woods, or even while reading the text. There are obvious prayers, like the third, seventh, and sick man's, but nestled throughout are little micro prayers that are mighty for adjusting our attitudes. The word ask appears 39 times in the big book and 24 times in the 12 and 12. Some are hidden little prayer gems. Here are some examples. Page 68. If we still cling to something, we will not let go. We ask God to help us be willing. Page 69. We ask God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. Page 84. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. Page 86. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. We ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Page 87. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves if others may be helped. 
As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. And one of my favorite morning prayers on page 164, ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. It has been an adventure to me to ferret out the obvious. And these are only a few examples. There are more out there. Sometimes I say them separately and sometimes I string them together. They help me when I can't find the words or I don't know what to say. Even some of the stories in the back of the book contain mighty little prayers. For example, on page 552 in the story Freedom from Bondage, there is a great paragraph that could become a resentment prayer. I'll start on the bottom of 551. One morning, however, I realized I had to get rid of it, for my reprieve was running out, and if I didn't get rid of it, I was going to get drunk, and I didn't want to get drunk anymore. In my prayers that morning, I asked God to point out to me some way to be free of this resentment. During the day, a friend of mine brought me some magazines to take to the hospital group I was interested in. I featured an article by a prominent clergyman in which I caught the word resentment. He said, in effect, if you have a resentment you want to be free of, if you will pray for that person or the thing that you resent, you will be free. If you will ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. Ask for their health, their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free. Even when you don't really want it for them and your prayers are only words that you don't mean, do it. Go ahead. Do it every day for two weeks and you will find you have come to mean it and want it for them. And you will realize that where you used to feel bitterness and resentment and hatred, you now feel compassionate understanding and love. Use your own words. These are mine. For example, dear God, I have a resentment towards someone that I want to be free of. Please, God, I'm asking you to give this person everything I want for myself. I pray that they will have health, prosperity, and happiness. Help me to feel compassion and understanding and love for this person. Thank you, God, for your help and strength with my resentments. These little prayers have helped my step 11 process immensely. No matter what religious background we have, if any, we can still pray to the God of our understanding. These mighty little prayer gems from the big book can help us start that dialogue. Once our puny little muscle matures, the sky is the limit. I had a strong faith walk coming into program, but this book has proven to be a master class on the golden rule. The 12 steps have been like Jacob's ladder, or more aptly, the stairway to heaven. I have begun to deeply experience that awareness of a power greater than myself, the essence of spiritual experience, or that God consciousness that the spiritual experience talks about on page 568. I now, I now have come to understand 
that my higher calling or my primary purpose is to express God's love to others. After all, that little paragraph on page 53 is real. When we became alcoholics crushed by self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the opposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What is our choice to be? We don't need to be a PhD or a gifted speaker to converse with our creator. Just make sure it's a dialogue and not a monologue. So I continued my travels down the broad highway, vigorously working steps 10, 11, and 12. But just like that, I crested the hill and hit a road closure. I had to endure that trying situation for a very long time. Earlier, I said I was a member of another fellowship for family members. I had been in a relationship with a wonderful man who succumbed to alcoholism. I was like a border collie, tirelessly trying to herd my sheep out of harm's way and keep him headed in the right direction. I would try any tactic. As a last resort, I could become vicious to get my way. I had the actor, director down pat. We parted ways not long before he passed, but thankfully I made amends for my part. Thank you, God, and kudos to program. Anyway, I was single for many years before I met my current husband. He was safe. He didn't drink. He didn't have any vices that I could see. And trust me, I know you're all cracking up right about now. Things were blissful for a while until one of his immediate family members moved in, complete with the addiction I thought I escaped years before. Only this addict wasn't pitiable, or so I thought. Things were triggered in me that came from such a deep, dark place that I was frightened for my own sobriety. I felt like the line on page 87, only I had been around for a while. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired all the time. Really? You think? I was barely inspired during those days. My nightly reviews were getting redundant, always about the addict and the codependent over and over again. This was one of the roundabouts I got stuck in on my road of happy destiny. Thankfully, I have a wise guide in OA that is a double winner. So she was able to help me through the dark hours. I drew the sick man's prayer like a gun 10, 20 times a day. I felt like George Costanza. Serenity now, serenity now had become my mantra. I started to compare myself to others I heard on the meetings. I just didn't feel like you sound. Was I losing my mind? During this time, I was still cleaning my side of the street, making amends where need be. Some amends were heftier than others. It was comforting to know that Bill Wilson also experienced low points in his recovery. 
1958, the grapevine published a letter he had written to another old-timer. In it, he shared that although he was practicing the principles, he wasn't experiencing the joy and peace he thought he should have. He discovered that after 20-plus years of sobriety, he was emotionally unsober. His reasons were different from mine, but with the same results. He says, failing to get these things according to my perfectionist dreams and specifications, I had fought for them. When defeat came, so did my depression. My own emotional inebriety looked very different. I had been like the tornado, roaring my way through the lives of others. Hearts were broken. Sweet relationships were dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits kept the home in turmoil. Thank you, God. I've changed. Thank you for the steps. More than ever these days, when a microclimate of black clouds gathers around and the barometric pressure drops, I cling to the many promises in this book, and I work my program like my hair's on fire till I find the way out. Instead of being an F5 tornado, I'm more like a whirlwind. As many have shared on this line, I'm also part of an 11-step group. I have made a lot of wonderful contacts and met many wise women that are part of my God squad. They often help me see through a new pair of glasses. From time to time, I think of getting off the train, but I know I'll get lazy. The obligation helps me suit up and show up and own my part. I also keep a list handy of examples of selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and fearful. I often wonder if Bill placed them in that order on purpose or if it's just a coincidence that my resentments always follow the same course. It's like an avalanche. It starts with one snowflake or one little resentment sending a swath of destruction down the mountain. I get selfish. I want things my way. I want control. I want you to be like me. I want you to meet my needs, etc. Then dishonesty settles in because things aren't going my way. I have to justify the whole thing in my mind. I exaggerate, blame, project, and deny my part. I don't admit I'm guilty of the same things, etc. Now that I've talked myself into being the victim of someone's crappy behavior, I have the green light to go into self-seeking. All that judgment, inward character assassination, manipulation, shaming, bullying, etc., are unleashed on the world. And when the dust settles from my actions, fear falls on me like an affliction. Shame, inadequacy, abandonment, rejection, etc. Fear, the big book says, this short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It is an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. My list has proved to be invaluable to me. That built-in forgetter I have will make me conveniently forget my part and my reviews will become incomplete and worthless. When I completed my step work, I was eager to start working with others. 
page 100 reminds us that both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your personal circumstances. I learned from one of the co-founders of this meeting that all I had to do was shine a light on the text. I could do what my sponsor did for me. We could read and comment on the text. My responsibility was only to have integrity and honesty. I don't have to know it all. In fact, each time I read the text, I learn more about it. Does that mean my early sponsees somehow got cheated? No way. Hopefully, they're out there doing the same thing I am. As I mentioned earlier, there are many gifted teachers on this line. It gives me great peace knowing I can have my sponsees listen to their special editions on every topic relating to the text. I don't generate much information, but I can surely pass on to others what has been so freely given to me. There is a multitude of good stuff out there. As long as it aligns with the truths I've learned in the big book, I put it in my quiver. A lot of people want advice about nutrition when they start this process. Since I don't have an MD at the end of my name, I don't go there. I can help them identify their trigger foods and behaviors, but beyond that, I always point them in the direction of a doctor or nutritionist. After reading the doctor's opinion with a newcomer, I always jump to page 133 in the family afterward. It says, but this does not mean that we disregard human health measures. God has abundantly supplied this world with fine doctors, psychologists, and practitioners of various kinds. Do not hesitate to take your health problems to such persons. Most of them give freely of themselves that their fellows may enjoy sound minds and body, bodies. Try to remember that though God has wrought miracles among us, we should never belittle a good doctor or psychiatrist. Their services are often indispensable in treating a newcomer and in following their case afterwards. And this is a little controversial, but I believe it's true. It is possible that a sponsee maybe needs to explore other 12-step fellowships when they get abstinent. I don't urge anybody into any specific fellowship. I only share my experience. First and foremost, as a compulsive overeater, I had to put the plug in the jug. I could not get abstinent outside of this program, nor will I be able to stay abstinent outside of this program. If I wish to see clearly, I must take the, make this my top priority. During those dark times of my marriage when I struggled to get up in the mornings, I decided I needed to take off my water wings and swim from the kiddie pool into deeper waters. 
Since my security and self-esteem boxes were always checked, I decided to take a closer look at the third column. Something was deeply troubling me, and I had to take the ax to the root, or it would keep resurfacing. Instead of going through the steps again, I began a journey in another fellowship for adult children. Now I have more clarity and my fear in, about my fears, and it's improved everything in all my other programs. It's made me a better sponsor, a more understanding sponsor. Together, my programs have helped me stay on the road of happy destiny. Since I have retired from the debating society, I have no opinions on repeatedly going through the steps in this program. But I am sad to say that I've spoken to many people in OA that disqualify themselves from this beautiful experience because they feel lacking. They aren't smart enough. They think they'll screw someone up. They're perfectionists. They're still looking for the sponsor with the magic wand, the one who could make them the perfect sponsor right now. And my favorite one of all, I don't have time. I'm busy. Really? We all had plenty of time for the food. Frankly, I don't have time not to do this. The only real thing that disqualifies you is you. Sometimes our need for approval and prestige is met in people. If that is so, we are circling the drain. For people have feet of clay and they will never be enough. We need only seek the approval of God as we understand him. Page 180 and 181 are well-worn in my book. AA's co-founder, Dr. Bob writes, and he begins with some of the promises that have come true. It is a most wonderful blessing to be relieved of the terrible curse with which I was afflicted. My health is good, and I have regained my self-respect and the respect of my colleagues. My home life is ideal and my business is as good as can be expected in these uncertain times. I spend a great deal of time passing on what I learn to others who want it and need it badly. I do it for four reasons. One, a sense of duty. Two, it is a pleasure. Three, because in doing so, I am paying my debt to the man who took time to pass it on to me. And four, because every time I do it, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. Unlike most of our crowd, I did not get over my craving for liquor much during the first two and a half years of abstinence. It was almost always with me. But at no time have I been anywhere near yielding. I used to get terribly upset when I saw my friends drink and no, I could not. But I schooled myself to believe that though I once had the same privilege, I had abused it so frightfully that it had to be withdrawn. So it doesn't behoove me to squawk about it. After all, nobody ever had to throw me down and pour liquor down my throat. If you think you're an atheist or agnostic, a skeptic, or have any other form of intellectual pride which keeps you from accepting what is in this book, I feel sorry for you. If you still think you are strong enough to beat the game alone, that is your affair. 
But if you really and truly want to quit drinking liquor for good and all and sincerely feel that you must have some help, we know that we have an answer for you. It never fails. If you go about it with one half the zeal you have been in the habit of showing when you were getting another drink, your Heavenly Father will never let you down. So in closing, I'm losing my voice. Take a deep breath and jump in. The water's warm. Anyhow, God's got this. We don't have to have it. If if I can do it, anyone can. I'm just one woman with a book and a lantern. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much, Lisa, for your profound and inspiring talk, your presentation this morning. Lisa J.R.'s presentation, share ID 14723. That's 14723. Again, thank you, Lisa, for giving, sharing so much of yourself and your journey with all of us on the line. Lisa JR's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question-answer segment. You can pose a question to Lisa by pressing star 1 to unmute, and I'll need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Jenna H. Jen A, Loretta H. Robin B. Robin B, is that correct? Robin P. Robin P. Hey, Robin, thank you. Wendy B. Wendy B. Andrea B. Andrea B. Wendy F. Wendy F. Okay, let's call that a group, beginning with Jen A. Thank you, Jen. Good morning. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so much for your service. And um, Lisa J.R., wow, beautiful this morning. Thank you so much, my friend. And it was such a privilege and an honor to meet you. After hearing you on the lines, and I just thought this, Lisa J.R., girl, man, there's something she has. She just, there's something. I want to meet her. And getting to meet you. And then dialing for sanity and getting to speak to you and do the work with you was another thing. You talked this morning about rigorous, rigorousness. And I'm wondering if you can expand on, on what, that really, what that really means. Rigorously, you ate. <laughs> um, you, you did those things. But what, it, what was the rigorousness that you had to have in this program of action? If you could just expand on that a little bit. Oh, good morning, Jen. Glad to hear your voice this morning. Um, Rigorous, yeah. Um, I certainly went after the food with all the zeal in the world to to my own detriment. Um, But there were so many times in recovery, and it was, I guess, God's plan for me that my, the timing of all of it was just, um, it it wasn't a, a smooth time in my life to start this process. And if I did not attack my sobriety with the same zeal that I put towards the food. Um, I was toast. I was a robot in the food. I had robot arms from, from you know, um, food 
was just, you know, from the bag to the mouth, um, from the box to the mouth. And I had to do the same thing with these steps. I had to go into robot mode some days because some days I certainly didn't feel like doing this work. I was um, very angry at times. I I felt like I was a failure in program. But, um, you know, my dad used to say to me, you know, when times get tough, put your head down and your ass up and plow forward. Um, and that's what I had to do, no matter what. I just had to uh, to look back. There's a um, there's a, a verse that I like that says, um, "He who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God." And I I really had to think about that when uh, the times were bad, and I felt like um, getting some ease and comfort from something. Um, I just had to do it, and Thank God uh, for my 10, 11 step train because they they kept me honest. They kept me doing the work every day. And um, I'm just really grateful that I've been able to do that. I hope that answered your question. Thank you, Jen. Loretta H., your turn. Thank you so much. This is Robin. Robin C., I'm a very grateful. Oops. Hold on, Robin. Hold on. This is let's, Loretta H. Let's go with Loretta H., and then Robin will get to you. Thank you so much. Oh, go ahead, Loretta. Sorry. No problem. No problem. Loretta, go ahead. Thank you, Leah and Lisa. What a priceless share your gift. It was such a priceless gift your share was. I can't even talk. It was awesome. And I identify into so much of your story, especially with the privileges that I've abused all my life. But you talked about an authenticity, and that's um, something I am trying to develop today with just having had done the steps again uh, recently, and that was one of my real desires in this program. And you talk about doing it through 10, 11, and 12, but do you add anything to that to bring about more of the authentic sobriety because that to me is an achievement that I hope to um, come to fruition for me. So I thank you. Your share was just awesome. And uh, I pass. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Loretta. Um, Appreciate that. So authenticity i i do work the steps vigorously but i've learned in my other programs see one of my sticks again another stick i have a judge and jury in my head i don't have a committee because a committee is democratic i have a judge and a jury a very condemning uh voice that kind of has settled from childhood into my uh bone marrow so i've kind of through the inner child work that I'm doing, I've had to learn how to be a loving parent to myself. I've had to learn to to derail the condemnation. Um, you know, when I make a mistake or I or I have wrong thinking, um, and I need to to parent myself, so to speak, out of that situation. Um, you know, I, a, a good parent. You know, my parents were, were great parents, and they did the best that they could. But, um, you know, they were both raised 
para-alcoholics. They were both raised by an alcoholic each. And one of my grandfathers um, died in an asylum from a wet brain. So, yeah, um, it's a scary thing for me. And I take it very seriously because I am their granddaughter. So um, I have to keep it real and I have to um, be kind to myself without without uh, finding a loophole. So that's a that was a tricky uh, path for me to take. But yes, thank you. Thank you, Loretta H. Now we'll hear from Robin P. Sorry, I was unmuting and I thought you called me. Sorry, sure, Robin. <laughs> This is Robin P. I'm a very grateful recovery compulsive overeater. God bless you, Lisa. I love you so much. I'm so grateful. What a gift. Oh, my gosh. It's such a great present this morning. I'm just eternally grateful to have heard you. It just, wow, it was so great. I kept thinking, wow, this is a great booklet. I would love to read this. Um, so thank you. My question is, can you talk more about uh, the 10 step train and how that's helped you? Oh, thank you, Robin, and it's great to hear your voice this morning. Um, God has been so good to me. Um, My initial sponsor, who, um, when I first came into vision, um, I had a sponsor who unfortunately um, passed away, um, and she suggested I get on it. She was um, a newcomer liaison because I didn't have much of a God squad when I came into this program. I was, didn't know most of you on, so many of you I've met through that vehicle, um, but I didn't have that many, um, that many people in my, in my uh, inner circle that I, could, that I could do these exercises with, that I could be honest with. And, you know, and I love uh, the AA speaker Chuck C. and the new pair of glasses. What a precious book that is. Um, but you guys that, or the people that are on that, that 10, 11 step train and some of my other close friends in program, um, they help me. You know, God ultimately, I give my 10th step to God first. And um, ultimately, God is my sponsor. But um, when I still have agitation around something, when I still need another uh, viewpoint, God often speaks through the people that I speak to on, the, on my 10-11 step train. And it is, it's a mighty blessing to me because when there have been days when I just haven't wanted to do that. But um, one of the things that I know um, is that this is a program of attraction. And if we can't be to the best of our ability, you know, stuff happens. But if we can't be um, dependable, if we can't be um, to have integrity, um, then, you know, what's the point of doing this work? We fall back into phoniness, perpetrating something we're not. So, um, you know, I have I have missed people from time to time. Things have come up, but um, for the most part, I suit up and I show up um, and I I do the work. And inevitably, every single time that I do it, I end up walking away feeling better. Thanks. Thank you, Robin (coughs) B. Wendy B., your turn.
Wendy B. Star one to unmute, Wendy B. All right, let's move on to Andrea B. Hi, can I be heard? Yes. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, uh, thank you to everyone doing service, and thank you to the speaker. I really, really appreciated hearing your experience, strength, and hope. Um, something that I don't think I heard you touch on was people who have relapsed. Um, from the sponsor's perspective, how to work with them, and from the relapser's perspective, how to keep trudging that road of happy destiny. Um, you probably touched a little bit more on that than you did on the from the sponsor's perspective. So I just wanted to open the question of, if, do you have anything you'd like to share with regards to relapse? Well, um, thank you for the question, Andre, and good morning. Um, for me, I don't want to think so much about the relapse. Um, everyone comes by this uh, recovery from a different path. Some people are chronic relapsers. Some people have a road to Damascus experience like Bill Wilson. Some people are like Dr. Bob. I'm more like Dr. Bob. You know, I I felt the presence um, of my disease for, for a very long time. Um, so I don't want to try to project or get into a person's head that's been a relapser. Uh, that being said, <clears throat> I, I've worked with plenty of people that have chronically relapsed. Um, they're ready when they're ready. Um, you know, maybe it's just part of their story. Um, maybe they'll see something new this time. It isn't, um, the onus isn't on me to get people recovered, even if they're, um, no matter what, actually. You know, uh, the onus is on the person and the, the literature. Um, our leader today, Leah, um, she she really helped me with that, that little, um, she would say, you know, we just have to hold the light over the text. And that just took, that just made it easy. It's, it's a simple game. I don't want to complicate it by treating a person that has relapsed different than I treat a newcomer. Um, because I think we we just, you know, screw the message around. Um, but that's only my personal opinion. Um, I just think when a person gets ready to do this, they're ready to do this. Because I believe that when I first came into the regular rooms of OA and had that first sponsor, I I wouldn't call each incident a relapse. I would say I was in state of relapse the entire time until I came to vision and started working with vision. So um, even though I was doing a fashion of of a program, um, it was really just, you know, working my program, you know, the way I wanted to do it. So it was somewhat like a relapse, I guess. Hope that answers your question. Thank you very much for your question, Andrea B. And we'll go back to Wendy B, who has a question. Wendy. Wendy B, star one to unmute. 
Oh, thank you. It worked. This is Wendy B. Um, and thank you so much for your heartfelt share, Lisa. And I just love you. And um, you talked about taking the axe to the root and um, addressing um, more in more detail, you know, areas in the third column where where you were affected. And I was wondering if you could um, expound on that a little more, or give us an example or something like that. Thank you. Hey, good morning, Wendy. Glad you were able to get back in, and thanks for the question. Um, the axe to the root. Well, <clears throat> as as I uh, started to go through recovery and go through, you know, all the challenges that were in my life during recovery, as I said in in uh, in what I presented this morning, I I kept having these same reoccurring problems, and I'm. You know, and I'm talking to people on the line that are going through the same thing. They're having the reoccurring problems. And incidentally, you know, the funny thing, you know, you create the fellowship you crave. Um, you know, many of us have have gotten together at times and, and addressed these issues from a compulsive overeating standpoint, even in a meeting now on Saturday mornings. And, you know, um, that that inner child i i couldn't see when i was in the food i couldn't see clearly um it, in effect i was somewhat like an animal you know just surviving they these were survival instincts you know um the things that were a, a defect of care of uh, character the genesis of those things was a character defense um when i was a child um, abandonment uh, was a real thing for me. I, um, my father, I was a, a daddy's girl, and when I was three, my father got deployed to Vietnam, and I was devastated, um, devastated that he left me. And, um, you know, my, my siblings tell me I became a mean, angry little girl after that incident. And I didn't, and I can honestly say, even from a child's perspective, at that point, people became untrustworthy. So I had all these defenses trying to take care of that inner child, trying to protect her from being abandoned again. And I carried them into my life. I, you know, tamped them down with the food, all those fears that came from that. You know, I, I went forward, forth into my adulthood with a bag of fear, you know. Um, and, you know, it, it was it was killing me. It was slowing me down. And it was it was setting the wheels in motion for these now blooming character defects to just wreak havoc on my life. I was, uh, you know, the, the, the thinking, the disease thinking, like I said, mopped the floor with me. So, um, you know, I think in, in visual terms and I think of, um, you know, like um, a dandelion, for example, you know, it's got like this giant, foot long tap root and uh, I have them in my yard I have a special tool that um, I can stick into the ground that will follow the root down and get to the bottom of the root and um, if I don't do that if I just pluck the dandelion off the surface it it grows back it pops up you know um, weeks later I've got another dandelion flower so you know, it's it's sort of like taking the axe to the root. You know, um, if I don't want these fears 
you know, I can't, I can't fight a foe that I don't know. So I, I, and you know, there is such a thing as analysis paralysis. So I don't want to get the two confused because I, I don't believe that, <clears throat> that we should get bogged down in analyzing every little thing about our past. But this was a, this third column stuff was huge for me. And the funny thing is, I think that if I had addressed it in my fourth step in greater depth, it would have derailed my recovery. It would have totally derailed my recovery because I would have been back in childhood. You know, I would have been back suffering um, and, and trying to protect myself. And I wouldn't have been able to see my character defects, the, the part that I had to play. So I was really, it was only by God's grace that it worked out the way it did because, um, you know, I, I, uh, I got to uh, see clearly so that I could take the tool to the root, lay the ax to the root. And I just have to keep uh, being vigilant about, you know. And then at times, you know, when I get upset, um, and, you know, my husband maybe triggers that abandonment in me. Um, yeah, I can, I, can, I can be a parent to myself and say, you know, relax, relax. I can have this dialogue. You know, God's just been miraculous how he's just, um, just healed me and continues to heal me as long as I do the work. And thanks. Thank you, Wendy B. Wendy F., your turn. Can you hear me? I do. Okay. Um, good morning. Uh, this is Wendy F. from Walnut Creek, California. Um, thank you, Lisa, so much for your share, um, especially related to one of the answers to your question about robot arms that really, really resonated with me. Um I um, am coming back to OA after a while, and I'm new to A Vision for You, and I don't know if this question is quite appropriate for this, but it's the first time I have actually been able to be on the line live, and I'm curious, I heard something mentioned about a newcomer liaison, and I'm curious how someone finds a sponsor in the Vision for You group um, when it's just online meetings, if you have any suggestions. Yes, I do. Um, if you um, wait till the end of this meeting, Leah is going to give you that information. But they have a wonderful oh. website, and you can join um, the website. And it, you've got to follow some specific instructions to join. But there's a huge member list, and you know you can listen in the mornings. You can listen and you know find somebody. Um, Find somebody that you you can relate to, and you know, give them a call, and you know, see how it works. Sometimes, you know, just reading the doctor's opinion with somebody, you're going to know if you're going to work with them, and you're going to jive with them, and yeah, you'll you'll get all that information. I'm sure at the end, and um, just check that website out. Plus, the website is like has uh, this huge booty of of wonderful special editions. I mean, some of these folks are like surgeons of big book. And, um, you know, that's why 
just listen to them and, and you'll be blown away. There's a, there's a subject for everything. Thanks, Wendy, and welcome, welcome uh, to the meeting. Thank you, Wendy, for the question, and indeed, welcome. We have time for more questions. You can pose a question to Lisa by pressing star one to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Jody Alicia E. N. Jody E. Alicia B. Lisa J. Lee A. Alicia A. Who has yes. the last initial of N? Alicia. Alicia. And thank you. Mm-hmm. Lisa B. Bonnie C. Bonnie C. I have you, Lisa B. Oh, okay. Sorry. No <laughs> Veronica. Margaret D. Veronica. There's also another Lisa B. Okay, gotcha. Thank you for that clarification. Veronica, what's the last, your first initial, I'm sorry. B like boy. Okay, B like boy. Thank you. Stephanie T. Mm-hmm. Stephanie T. Murray C. And we'll end with Murray C. Excellent. Okay, this is the list. Jody E. Let's go with Lisa B., the one from South Carolina. Anita J., Alicia N., Bonnie C., another Lisa B., Veronica B., Stephanie T., and Murray C. Okay, let's start with Jody E. Star one to unmute, please, Jody. Jody E. <laughs> Star one to unmute. Here I am. Sorry about that. Thank you, Leah, and thank you, Lisa, for your share. It was very moving to me. You talked about living with uh, people or someone who was causing you a lot of resentment and that uh, you realized this was a problem within you, which I commend you for. I haven't always been able to see that. So you talked about praying for these people or this person. Um, I have... I have suffered with the same issue of resentment and um, prayed for them and done 10 steps on them and still not been able to get beyond it entirely. So if you could speak a little bit more about how you are staying away from resentment towards that person or people, I would appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Jody. Good morning. Yeah, I I mentioned that I have a, a fourth step inventory helper, I call it. You know, my mind, um, you know, when somebody does me dirty, boy, I can I can get fired up and uh become ugly real quick. So I keep copies of that little thing, that list everywhere. I have one on my refrigerator, I have one in my purse, I have one in my car, I have one at work. I have one everywhere because my mind is so devious. I can get indignant and I can become the victim in dishonesty so quick. And trust me, 
the people don't get a free pass. They don't get a completely free pass. But you know what? They're a pain in my rear. And the fact is, I don't want them to take up real estate in my head. You know, there's enough uh, room in there with the jury and the judge. Uh, there's not enough room, I should say. So, you know, the only way I can do that is to pray for them and to do my, um, you know, 10 steps about it. And I take that list and I, you know, forget, you know, what ways am I selfish? And sometimes I look at something on that list and I went, wow, you know, that's a way I'm being selfish. Yeah. You know, I have grandiosity. I think I'm better. It makes me feel better. Um, just different examples, but it really, really has helped me to um, know that the ground is level at God's feet. I am no better than they are, and uh, they are no worse than I am. We are all children of our higher power, and that um, that really, really levels the playing field for me. I it it almost takes the sword out of my hand and. Um, you know, I, I began to feel differently about them. And that's, you know, like I said before, sometimes they're up in your face and you just have to do it over and over again um, until, you know, you, you get relief. Thanks. And, I'll, Thank you, and by the way, if you, um, at the end, if you, if you get my um, phone number, I'll be happy to talk more about it and I will be happy to share that list with you if you would like mm -hmm. it. Thanks, Jody. Yes, thank you, Jody E. Lisa B. from South Carolina, your turn. Thank you. Thank you so much, Leah. And thank you, Lisa. I'm really glad I got to hear you this morning. You were sitting behind me at the convention in New Jersey, and I heard you introduce yourself. and. It was really nice to be able to turn around and meet you. Um, I wanted to ask you today how you deal with, maybe you could share some of the growing experiences of where you are today with perfectionism and honesty and sponsorship and how you deal with uh, those things and those struggles. Maybe you could share some that would help me and maybe some others. Perfectionism, honesty, and in sponsorship, in sponsorship, sponsorship. Yeah. oh, in in sponsorship. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Good, because you know when <laughs> when I came into the rooms, man, when my lips were moving, I was lying, lying to myself and lying to everybody else. So um, you know, I never had. I I I always felt from from the beginning that um, humiliation. So perfectionism wasn't really part of my shtick at all. Um, so I didn't bring it into sponsoring. Um, but honesty, ooh, lordy, honesty is uh, non-negotiable. Um, you know, if uh, there's somebody who was telling me, and, and it made sense to me, and I think it was in another fellowship, uh, the three Ds of the disease, denial, didn't even know I'm lying, um, delusion, I believe my own bullcrap and defiance. Once brought out into the light, I'm still <laughs> holding on to it. I defy the truth. So um, I don't, I really um, 
try to help people uh, if they're having trouble in that area um, really see that because I can't tell them they're a liar. I can only share with them that I was a liar when I came into program and now um, honesty and integrity mean a lot to me now. They, they didn't mean anything to me when I came in, um, but they mean everything to me now. And I hope that that answers your question. Thank you, Lisa B. Anita J. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Good morning to you. Uh, this is Anita J. from um, Massachusetts. Hey, Lisa J.R. <laughs> I want to just tell the world, as an assignment, I was uh, told to go on that 11-step train, and I went, you know, and I'm not leaving. She was my first one. You were my first one, and I, I'm sold. I'm sold. And... um you spoke to my gut and my heart. I, I guess the question that I'd like, I, it's not a question, I'd like to hear more about those roadblocks, you know, that sounds so negative and deters and all of that. I wonder how they impacted you, um, if you had a turnaround on some of those. Oh, thank you, Anita. Um, love to hear your voice on the line. You were one of the first that really meant something to me when I came here. Um, thanks for your question. You know, um, because I had so many, you know, uh, defects of character, you know, a road to happy destiny might look very different for somebody. I mean, we're all on the same road. We're all, you know, working our recovery. But those detours and roundabouts really were stemmed from my character defects that I really, um, you know, had to work this program essentially to get through. You know, God in his infinite wisdom, when I said that I had to get stuck on that closure, I had to get stuck on that closure. I had to feel the pain of what I was going through and my part in it and how I got the ball rolling in order to work through it. Had I just continued on that straight path, merrily going my way, uh, first, it wouldn't be too authentic. So, uh, you know, then I'd be back into lying. But, you know, um, I have to be truthful about it for me. And, you know, I like backpacking. So, um it didn't matter that the road sometimes didn't look like a road, but it looked like a trail. It was okay. I was still on it. You know, I had people um, that just kept me, kept me going that, that just, and that's, that's part of the reason I keep coming to this meeting every day because I hear even the newcomer speak and, you know, they, um, they helped me keep trudging forward you know, it's just uh, part of part of the program, and it's part of my story. You know, the potholes, the the roadblocks. Um, you know, God doesn't make any mistakes, and and I have to trust Him with all of it. Um, my marriage, my recovery, my job, everything—the good and the bad. 
and just know that he's um, in charge and I can't try to take the wheel again. So, yeah. Thank you, Anita J. Alicia N. Good morning. This is yeah. Alicia, Alicia N. from Richmond, Virginia. And uh, thank you, Leah, as always. And Lisa J.R., thank you for your very honest and compassionate share for a beautiful Sunday morning. Um, what I'd like to ask if uh, you would speak a little bit more on sponsoring, because um, I was sponsored um, two and a half years ago. Uh, by someone that you know very well um, <laughs> that encouraged me to sponsor. And I was in this program for 34, well, I'm sorry, 32 years without sponsoring. And I never understood the essentials of a big book and um, sponsoring. And it has added a whole new spiritual level to my recovery. And I just would love for you to share a little bit more on um, the amazing miracle of sponsorship. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Alicia. Good to hear your voice this morning. And that's my favorite topic, I'll be honest with you. Sponsoring is the bright spot in my life. And um, especially, it's, it's, a, it's something that um, brings joy, even in dark times, because even in the darkest of times, Wow, I would talk to a sponsee and start doing the work and um, get out of my own head. And it was a paradigm shift for me on a daily basis to sponsor people. You know, um, I wouldn't have lasted too long in recovery if I hadn't sponsored. Um, you know, uh, one of my favorite um, speakers on this meeting, you know, she talks about being scared not to sponsor. Well, I'm all with her on that one because, um, you know, if, if I'm not walking alongside someone, if I'm not um, doing for someone, I, you know, back to what Dr. Bob said, you know, if I'm, um, if I'm not uh, taking the time to pay back the debt and pass it along, um, you know, I'm, I'm back in selfishness, really and truly not sponsoring if you, uh, you know, have been explained about the process, I'm not ragging on anyone here, but, and your, your story is inspiring because you got it. And, you know, you might've been in the rooms for all those years, but you got it and you're doing it and it's, it's moving you further down the road. And um, the truth is, you know, it's, um, it's just a, a shame when people don't think they can do it. I, I am deadly serious when I tell you um, if I can do it, anyone can do it. I am um, not a gifted speaker or uh, smart uh, when it comes to the text. When I did it, you know, basically when we read the steps, the steps with a guide, when we're going through that process with a guide, we should be taking notes in the margins of our big book because what we're doing is not only being sponsored, but we're taking a class how to sponsor so you know oftentimes I tell sponsees look get yourself a little book um, I call mine my little book I call it uh, my Ebenezer's or my stones of remembrance and 
I write down, you know, certain things. I write down, um, you know, my 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 list of of uh, alcoholic foods and whatnot, and I keep that, and I revisit that every year, and and yada yada, and I. I write down events when God showed up for me so when I get down in the dumps, I can remember to have gratitudes. And I I also tell them, you know, look, when you're listening to these special editions, when you've got some of these great speakers, I mean, these people are, man, something. You know, they're as good as any AA speakers out there. And they're, they're teaching you, take notes, because when you have a sponsee, you're going to need to say to them, hey, I don't have all the answers. You're my first sponsee. You're my second sponsee. Why don't you listen to so-and-so or so-and-so on uh, the doctor's opinion? You know, uh, why don't you listen to, you know, 1117? If you, if you want to know about how to, how to identify your foods, listen to this guy from Canada on 1117. He'll, he'll help you. That's, that's all I have to do. And, um, every time I listen, I, I get another arrow for my quiver. Um, even in the last month, uh, you know, I've put more arrows in my quiver. I can, I can help people um, say, listen to this woman. She was telling your story. So I keep all those notes in that, in that Stone of Remembrance book so that, you know, I don't have to feel so responsible. I mean, we all want to go there. We all want to feel responsible for somebody's recovery gee you know did i did i do something wrong no you didn't do anything wrong i i was listening to an aa guy that said if uh if he gets one you know one person that out of 10 that he sponsors if they make it out then you know he's uh he's thrilled so you know who am i to think i um should have a, a, a stellar record where that goes you know this is the sponsee's responsibility, ultimately. I love how, um, and I, I still don't know who Boo Boo Kitty is, but I love uh, love how this one guy in our fellowship says, you know, if um, if Boo Boo Kitty could, could sponsor you, you know, if you want to get recovered, you're going to get recovered. But if, if anybody uh, knows who Boo Boo Kitty is, I'd like to know. So I'll pass with that. Thank you, Alicia, for your question. Bonnie C., your turn. Hi, it's Bonnie G. Thank in you. South Florida. Oh, thank you so much, Lisa J.R. Uh, what is your daily prayer and meditation like? Hey, Bonnie. Um, thanks for the question. And, um, uh, I can't wait till the next convention when we can uh, take a ride in Newark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, my prayer and meditation. Well, when I open my eyes, I know I know a lot of people are going to throw rocks here, but you know I have to hit that bookend one, two, three. I have to, you know, acknowledge my helplessness every day because any number of things could put me back into disease thinking. So I go through that. It's been called the one, two, three waltz every day before I, I even put my feet on the floor. Um, somebody told me something really cool once that some member on the line symbolically has a little white handkerchief beside her bed 
and she waves it around over her head before she gets out of bed and says, you know, I surrender. And, you know, really, it, it might sound corny, but it's so true. I have to do it every morning. Um, and then, you know, live in the solution. When my feet hit the floor, I, you know, I pray. I pray with God all day. I don't, you know, I used to do that, you know, formal winded prayer thing. And sometimes, you know, when my husband and I pray, we pray, you know, for a pretty lengthy period of time. But, you know, it's like God used to um, be somebody that I met in the morning and I met in the evenings. Um, and now I I feel like I walk in the garden with God. I can say those little micro prayers, like, please direct my thinking, God. Please direct me in the, you know, all those little places in the big book, um, most of them where it says ask, um, there, there are others too, and there are prayers. And one of the fun things, uh, Bonnie, that I did was I um, was taking a sponsee through the big book um, and that's when I kind of realized that those little places were prayers. So um, I wrote the ones that I identified down. And as I go through time after time, and I'm writing in the, in the margins, prayer, prayer, you know, um, as I go through and I go through the stories in the big book, you know, it's, it's opened up a world of, of prayer to me. And, you know, I don't think, I don't know, but I, I, I can't imagine that God uh, can handle our blubbering and our blundering. Um, I think he loves, you know, humility and, and, and uh, just somebody's heart. Um, it isn't all about sounding good because I certainly, you can listen to me, I certainly can bumble through things. So, you know, um, yeah, it's just a, a daily thing. Thanks, Bonnie G. Lisa B., your turn for a question. Hello. Thank you so much for this beautiful morning, this beautiful share. Thank you so much. A couple of people have touched on my question, but um, like the last person, but I kind of want to ask more about how you trust this thing called God and your concept a little more. I did miss some of the beginning of your share, so I don't know if you you spoke about that, but you know, in times when you don't like things or just even just how even when you pray in the good times like what's what's your I know we can't really put make an object out of this, you know, mystery, but I was wondering how you where you go in your head about this. Mm, thanks for that great question. Um, how do I trust God? And I'm I'm hearing a really bad echo. If, if everyone could mute. Oh, thanks. That's much better. Um, so trusting God. Um, it's a minute by minute thing. Sometimes it's uh, a day by day thing. But you know. Part of being beaten into a state of reasonableness by this disease and by life itself has been that that I really am I'm really understanding that I'm not God. So um, you know I could trust in myself and that didn't work. Um, and I 
I've decided it's a, it's a decision I make to put my trust in, in God's hands because um, every day um, I, I don't know uh, how much, you know, I don't know when, when I'm going to be called home. I don't know when, uh, I don't know anything. I'm, I've, I've tried to be a mind reader. I've tried to have the crystal ball. I've tried to figure, I wasted so much time trying to figure out how things were going to unfold in my life. <clears throat> and they, they drove me to the food because most of the time they didn't come true or didn't work out the way I figured they'd work out. So, you know, it's enough for me to know that I, I'm not God and God has this. And no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens to me, I know who I am. Like that woman says, I know who I am. And I also know not just that I'm a compulsive eater, but I know that I'm God's daughter. I know that I'm God's child. I trust that even if something bad happens to me, you know, it's, it's for the good of, of maybe somebody else. Um, you know, I can't, I can't mind read with God. So what I don't understand, um, I'm not going to waste my time trying to figure it out now in, in my older age. I'm just going to yield to it. I can fight it. It's like a, it's like a riptide kind of, you know, you're going to drown if you try to logically like the right thing to do. But if you swim counter to what you'd think would be right, if you swim along the shore, you're going to get out of that riptide. But that's how I was with God, you know, my trust. I didn't, you know, I, I fought trusting God because I, you know, everything that I did was done on self-propulsion. So, you know, that part of that quicksand is that I just surrendered and I had to lay back and, you know, swim out. It just is the way it is. You know, you just have to give it up. Quit fighting. Well, thank you, Lisa B. And that sounds like a beautiful way to wrap it up, Lisa J.R., considering it's 10 a.m. Thank you so much, uh, Surrender and give it up. Sounds like a great way to bookend this presentation this morning. Again, Lisa JR's share ID this morning, 14,723. That's 14723. For those that still have questions, of course, Lisa JR's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this presentation. So please stay tuned for that and you'll be able to connect with her for further conversation. Thank you again, everybody, for your questions. And of course, Lisa Jr. thanks for sharing so much of yourself with all of us today and your spectacular, remarkable journey of transformation. We're going to close from page 164. You'll notice it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. 
Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.